you bow with me and let's pray. God, we're at a time in our country, a season where we are celebrating thankfulness. And as followers of Jesus Christ, our thankfulness is directed primarily, if not completely, to you. Lord, we think of how 200 years ago, or even way before that, when our country was originally founded, and some of those Puritans, the pilgrims, came over, and they had a lot to not be thankful for, God, in the sense of losing loved ones and going through very difficult times in those early days, and yet because they knew you and because they loved you, because Jesus was front and center in their lives, give thanks they did. So God, when things are rough in our culture right now with the economy and what we're hearing over in India and many other things that go on that can cause discouragement and pain and and even take our eyes off you, we focus our eyes back on you right now and we give thanks. We give thanks that, God, not only have you given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, and I mean Jesus, the Holy Spirit, new life, eternal life, all of that, but, but God, even the tangible blessings that all of us are still so incredibly blessed with, especially in this country, we give thanks. And Father, we thank you, too, for your word. We know that without it, we'd be lost. I'd have nothing to talk about up here. We'd have nothing to talk about with each other when it comes to who you really are. But you've given us your word. You've revealed yourself to us in propositional form. And so we want to talk about that now and about an important aspect of your church. So give us wisdom, ears to hear and eyes to see, we pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, uh, one of the things that, that amazed me when I first became a Christian, what, 25, 26, 27 years ago, was um, how Christians have their own language. Have you ever noticed that? And sometimes we don't even realize how, how different we are and how our talk is kind of foreign to the world. I remember when I first got saved, I uh, was in, getting in a church, and, and I was in the church for just a few weeks, and they said, hey, have you joined a small group yet? And I'm like, small group of what? I mean, what are you talking about? Like a small group, I mean, when was the last time someone in business says, hey, come to my small group tonight? I mean, that's just not even used. We use that term all the time here. Or think about all the other terms that you've heard over the years uh, in, in Christian circles. Anointed, backsliding, the blood, born again, courting, discipleship. Or as Kim kind of joked about earlier, brother and sister. I mean, we know what we mean by that, but I'm not sure someone coming in completely from the outside would have any clue. Uh, if you go to Wikipedia and you type in the phrase Christian ease, Christian ease, they actually have an article on it talking about how Christians have their own language that those outside of the fold might not get. And so along those lines, it was hilarious. A few years ago, somebody sent me some phrases that Christians have learned over the years complete with a translation to them. And I just howled in my office. Look up here on the screen. You're going to like these too. Christianese is let's fellowship together. We've all heard that one, right? Translation, let's get some food, right? I mean, that's what it means. Uh, Christianese, the Lord works in mysterious ways. You ever find yourself saying that? Translation, I have no idea what God is up to, right? I love this next one. Christianese, I don't feel led to do that. You ever find yourself saying that one? Translation, you can't make me. <laughs> or how about this one? Uh, this hurts. Christianese, bless her heart, right? We, we Christians say it all times, right? Bless her heart. Translation, what an airhead. Right? So, like next time somebody says that, yeah, you know exactly what they mean. And lastly, tell me if this one's not true. Christianese, that's not my spiritual gift. I mean, I hear people say that all the time. Translation, find someone else. That's what they mean by that. 
I mean, truly, folks, when you look at us, we are a strange lot. And uh, it's good to laugh every once in a while and to, and to realize what, what we're about as a community of faith. And so here's the deal. This week, as we continue on in our study of 1 Peter, we get to chapter 5, and Peter begins a short discussion, about five verses, on elders. Elders. And folks, if there was ever a term that the Bible uses that our culture today like never uses, and even if they do, surely don't mean it in the sense of what the Bible does, it's this word elder. I mean, most people today, if they ever use this term, refer to somebody, use it to refer to somebody older than them, right? Like, show respect to your elders. I mean, that's how our world, if they even use this word, would use it. And yet this term in the Bible means something, quite frankly, subtly, if not entirely different, in a much more richer and fuller sense. And it means it in such a way that it affects you and I greatly, especially if you call any church your home. And so I want us to wrestle for a moment with what is an elder? I mean, in a Christian subculture filled with Christianese, what's an elder? And here's the answer. It's our main point today. It's the only thing I want you to hear. And that is this, that an elder is a biblically qualified leader who shepherds the church by protecting, leading, feeding, and caring for her. I know that's a mouthful, but, but that's the full orb picture of what an elder is, a biblically qualified leader who shepherds the church by protecting, leading, feeding, and caring for her. And some of you who are tracking with me right now are thinking, there you go again, using Christianese, shepherd. Like, who uses that word today, Jamie? I mean, what do you mean by shepherd? And why would you use a word like that to describe something which you're trying to get us out of Christianese? And the answer is simple, because the Bible does. I mean, think about it. Most of our Christian terms don't come from ourselves. They come from this book, amen? I mean, they come because God has revealed himself to us and decided to use some terms and phrases that only we would know so that we would understand who he is and what he's about. And when it comes to this term of elder and shepherd, God has done that. So look with me at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And as I read it for you, see if you can pick up on this idea of an elder and a shepherd and what God is saying about this for you and for I. He says this. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, now get this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. It's fascinating, that word elder here is the Greek word presbyteros, and don't miss that it's referring here to an office or a position in the church. I mean, it's not just referring to somebody who's older, though there might be a subtle connotation about that. We'll see what that means in a minute. But here, it's talking about an office, a leadership position. And we know this because in Acts 14, 23, it tells us that each church had appointed this position, these leaders, within their churches. And so you have this leadership position or office of an elder, and what is it that they're primarily to do? Don't miss this. Shepherd the flock of God among you. So in whatever local setting they find themselves in, they're to shepherd the people. And this is obviously a word picture being used here, right? I mean, look up here on the screen. It's, it's of a shepherd who oversees sheep in an agrarian culture. And so just like shepherds are to provide care and protection and feeding to sheep, what Peter is saying here is that elders are to provide the same things in any given local church. 
And just like a literal shepherd might have a small flock at times, so we have smaller churches. Give me another click here, guys. We also know that there are shepherds that have very large flocks, right? And so there are churches that are small, there's churches that are large, but don't miss that what the Bible is saying is that all of them need to have elders at the helm leading the way and providing for the lifeblood, the nourishment of the sheep, you and I, the church. And so don't miss four key things confirmed here in 1 Peter 5 as well as in other parts of the Bible that are central to this task of shepherding. Again, whether it be a large flock or a small one, four key traits involved in shepherding that are contained in our definition of elder here. And the first thing is, is that an elder is a shepherd who protects. An elder who is a shepherd protects. It's fascinating. In the book of Acts, Paul the Apostle has been staying with the church there in Ephesus for like three years working with the elders there, building the church and bolstering unity and encouraging evangelism and teaching and all that stuff. And when he's about to leave, he calls the elders together and he says this to them. Listen to Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31. He says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, and here it is again, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And even from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that day and night for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish you with tears. Wow. So don't miss what's happening here, folks. From like within and without, attacks are going to come, Paul is saying. False teaching, backbiting, disunity, going down the wrong path, been around church much. I mean, this happens many times even to God's church. And so what Paul is saying here is that these things have the power to draw away good-hearted sheep to dangerous places and that that's why we have elders. He says, be on guard, be alert to them, protect the body of Christ from forces from within and from without, protect the flock. And so our elders here at Scottsdale Bible Church, you need to know, spend concerted time dealing with doctrinal issues to keep us focused and rightly understanding the Word of God. They spend lots of time, as you're going to hear in a minute, in prayer. I mean, praying for the church as a whole and the needs within our church. And they spend a lot of time dealing with ministry and people difficulties. And I mean mediating disputes and dealing with ministries that need help and guidance. In short, don't miss, they spend a lot of time protecting you and I, day in and day out, and keeping this church a safe place for you to come and worship and serve in and be ministered to as well as to minister. And so it will go without saying that elders have to know the Word, they have to be wise and mature in order to do this. And so with this in mind, notice the second thing that an elder does, and that is, is an elder who shepherds also leads the church. Boy, this is critical. They lead the church. And the reason this is important is because some of you, because I'm kind of the visible guy in this church as the senior pastor, say, well, no, Jamie's leading the church. No, I'm one of the leaders, but I'm under the authority of the elders of Scottsdale Bible Church who have been commissioned by the Bible to lead. Look at 1 Timothy 5.17. It says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Let the elders who rule well. That word rule here literally means to stand over, to have charge over, to manage something. It carries with it the idea that you effectively organize something in order to keep it going and growing. It's no different than many marketplace areas where leadership is all about strategic decision-making and internal management structures and making sure that, that things go smoothly and run effectively. That's what elders do in a local church. 
And so our elders here at Scottsdale Bible, you need to know, spend a lot of time making strategic decisions concerning the course and direction of our church. And I'm talking about things like what ministries to start and not start, what staff to hire and not hire, what yearly direction our church is going to go in when it comes to evangelism, discipleship, and spiritual growth. I mean, they make ministry decisions, financial decisions, administrative decisions, personnel decisions, all kinds in order to effectively lead our church. They seek God regularly in prayer and in collaborative unity on our behalf, trying to make sure that we have a smooth-running church in this very, very fallen world of ours. And so maybe look at it this way. Just like a literal shepherd makes lots of decisions about what pastures to graze in and what water holes to try and what rivers to forge and what sheep to give personal attention to and when, elders shepherd the flock by leading you and I to safe and green pastures. So they protect us, they lead us, and then thirdly, just like a literal shepherd, elders also feed the flock. Isn't this cool? They feed the flock. In other words, they know the Word of God enough, and they have enough experience in living this Christian life in this fallen world that they're capable of imparting this knowledge and experience to you and me. 1 Timothy 3.2 says that an overseer or an elder must be able to teach. Fascinating phrase. In a list of character qualifications for an elder, it says they need to be able to teach. And this doesn't necessarily mean being able to give a, get up and give a three-point sermon on Sunday morning in front of thousands of people. I mean, that just takes a, a rarely dysfunctional gift, if you ask me, to be able to do that, right? Uh, but what it does mean is that they need to be able to impart the biblical truth they know one-on-one -on -one and in dietic contexts and in small groups and in enrichment classes and, and to each of us as needed and as God calls them to. They need to be men of the Word, men who know the Word of God, and be able to communicate it when asked a question or given some type of issue that somebody might have. It's fascinating. Jesus said when he was on this earth that people should not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, this book. And an elder knows this and lives this and directs others in this way. And then lastly, but certainly not least, notice with me that an elder provides care for the flock. Isn't that awesome? Care for the flock. I love what James 5 verse 14 says. It says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him or her, anointing him or her in the name with oil in the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but whenever I read that passage, I, I walk away with like a sense of compassion and care of elders tenderly gathering around a person, laying their hands on him or her and praying with concern over someone's life. And that's what elders do. They shepherd the church by providing and ensuring that care happens through prayer and counseling and practical acts of kindness. And then even speaking truth at times to those who are, are stuck in their ways. And again, as we suggested earlier, this doesn't mean that in a large church like ours that they can do that. We only have 12 elders right now. We have about 70 or 80 on our council of elders, which means they are people who have been elders before or, but are now serving in other areas. I mean, we don't have enough people that could provide personal care to 6,000. But like that big picture there of all the sheep, their job is to provide it when called on and then also to ensure through their leadership that you or I have, have areas where we can receive that kind of care from a pastor or in a small group or an enrichment class from one to another. They're to ensure that care happens. And it's so cool when you see it happen like this. It's kind of neat. When I was in the Middle East, 
a couple months ago, uh, at one point Fred and I were, were walking in this very outlying desert area and we were coming up over a hill and all of a sudden a bunch of sheep started coming over the hill toward us. And I knew what was happening right away because you're in, a, in an agrarian culture that, that this was a, a small flock of sheep, it was actually a rather large flock, and that any moment now a shepherd would be coming over the, the hill, right? And that was kind of cool. I was like, oh, I want to see a real life shepherd, you know, and, and all this. So I'm standing there and all these sheep are coming over the hill, but, but what comes over next is not the shepherd, but about halfway through this large flock of sheep coming, that this little dog comes over the hill, right? And, and what is that? that? That's a pastor. I'll get to this point in a minute, all right? That, that, this little dog is the one who's kind of running alongside the sheep to make sure on behalf of the shepherd who's in the back of the flock overseeing the whole thing to make sure that everything's copacetic and going well, right? And, and so this dog all of a sudden comes over the hill and he looks at me and then he looks at his sheep and he looks at me and then he looks at the sheep and he kind of just makes sure that I'm between him and he's between me and the sheep as he goes along and the sheep run alongside me. And then the shepherd came over the hill. And the shepherd's just watching proudly as all these sheep are being safe and going on to greener pastures. And I thought, what a beautiful picture of Scottsdale Bible Church. You got the elders here, they're walking proudly behind, overseeing the whole thing. And then you got all us little pastors running beside you, right? Just making sure that, that we're all safe and well cared for. And I thought, that's how it works. And that's what elders do. And yet most of you, many of you don't even know that we have them. You don't even know who they are. And what a tragedy that is. Our constitution and bylaws uh, have a very safe, or they, they thought of keeping our church safe 45 years ago when this church started, and they basically declared that anybody who receives a paycheck in this church cannot be a ruling elder. In other words, our elders are all volunteers, people just like you, who have proven themselves over the years as being very adept and godly leaders, and so they volunteer their time in overseeing the lifeblood of our church. As I mentioned earlier, we currently have 12 elders, and I could go on talking to you for hours about our elders, but that wouldn't do you any good. I thought what would be cool is if you met some live elders here this morning. You want to do that? And so I'm going to call up four elders right now. Come on up, men. Let's, uh, let's meet you here. And uh, I'm going to introduce them to you, and uh, I think you're really going to like this. As I mentioned earlier, we have 12 elders in our church right now. We'll explain in a minute how they become elders. And I've asked four of them that I've worked with this week on, on this little interview session here to uh, share a little bit about their lives with you. Whoops, let me grab my Bible here. And uh, to share their lives with you and, uh, and, and so you can get to know them and even more importantly, get to hear a little bit about what's involved with an elder and how that affects you. So on my far end over there is Corey Shutnik. Corey is the chairman of the board this year, which means he's the one that really makes sure all this stuff happens at the board level and works closely with me and the staff. Next to him is Dave Hall. Dave works closely with our finances here at our church. He's on the financial council and works closely with Ron Erickson. Next to Dave is Keith Frey. Keith is a doctor in this community at the Mayo Clinic, my doctor for what it's worth. And, uh, and he works very closely with our program and staff council, which is going to work a lot with Tom Sharda, our new executive pastor and managing the infrastructure of our church. And then next to Keith is Mark Snyder, who we'll, we'll get to him in a minute here. He's one of our youngest elders, kind of like Timothy in the Bible. And uh, Mark is an awesome addition, working a lot with our facilities uh, and, and even some of our financial councils. So welcome, men. I'm so glad that you agreed to uh, come up here and to interact with us. Let us get to know you a little bit right now. And so, Corey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became an elder and anything else we need to know. 
Well, thank you. My name is Corey Shutnik. Uh, my wife, Gail, and I uh, started attending Scottsdale Bible in 1975, uh, right after we had graduated from college and were married. I was raised Catholic. My wife, Gail, was raised Episcopalian. And uh, we both accepted Christ in high school here in Scottsdale. And our young life leader actually attended Scottsdale Bible. So when we got married, we decided, well, let's go to Scottsdale Bible. And since then, uh, we got involved in uh, an enrichment class uh, after a while, and then um, we're involved in home fellowships and uh, served in a lot of different areas here at the church over the years. Corey, tell us, how, how did you uh, become an elder then? I mean, what, what was that process like, and, and how did you get to this point today where you're uh, leading the church? Well, I've often asked the same question myself, but uh, I guess uh, first I was asked to lead a, a home fellowship, a small group, and then I was asked to lead a Sunday school class, and then I was asked to teach a Sunday school class, and I taught high school and college for a while, and one day I was asked to be an elder, and I said yes. You said yes. And how many times, have, how many terms, we have three or four year terms, and how often have you served as an elder over the this last? This is my fifth. Your fifth term, wow. The way that our nomination process works is important for all of you to know is that it's really a, almost a fail-safe system where um, about a six to eight month process every year, um, we receive nominations, if you will, from the floor, from all of you, of people that you have noticed might be really good elders. You'll be asked to do this in January and February of this year. And that goes to a nominating committee that's made up of five uh, lay people in this church and two current sitting elders. Uh, so seven people. And they review all the names that are submitted, maybe talk to those people if they don't know them, interview them. And then they submit a list to the current elders uh, sometime around um, April or May, and the elders review that list and will select out of that list uh, how many elders we need for the next year. So it might be two, it might be three, it might be four, and then they submit that list to all of you. And all of you vote, uh, an affirmation vote, yes or no, on the elders that have been selected. So check this out. It goes from you to a nominating committee to the elders back to you. And that's how we choose elders. And it's a long process, a very thorough process, so that we get godly men on the board who are ready to lead our church. And uh, all these men have been selected that way. Dave Hall, tell us a little bit about yourself, when you came to Scottsdale Bible, and, and uh, anything else we might want to know. Well, about 23 years ago, my wife Kathleen and I and our two daughters moved here from Chicago. And uh, as I recall, we moved here on Wednesday, and on Sunday we came to Scottsdale Bible Church and have been coming ever since. And over the years, I've been involved as a leader of a couple of enrichment classes. I've been on the missions committee, but most of my service has been outside the church. For 17 years, I've been the chairman of the board of the Luis Palau Association. And for 10 years, I was chairman of the Pinnacle Forum. I've been uh, on Family Matters Board and a number of other boards, three uh, foundations. Uh, over the years, I got calls from people saying, would you allow us to submit your name for consideration as an elder? And uh, as Jamie said, I never felt led. Um, so, <laughs> uh, two years ago, I got a call and uh, I decided that I was led, and uh, so I said yes, and here I am. Now, I know you joke about the Christianese thing, and again, we're all so good at that, but there's some substance behind why you didn't feel led before and why you feel led now. So why don't you tell us what, what was right about the timing now for you to come on the board? Well, when they called this time, they said, we are looking for two qualities we think you possess. One, 
We want somebody who's had experience outside of the church, whose board experience is not, with all due respect to Corey, the one that's been the same over and over and over, but that is, is different and unique. And, uh, and we're also looking for someone who has uh, been around for a while. I qualified. <laughs> I qualified on both counts. So. All right, good. Yeah, and I thought that was so cool. You know, one of the things the nominating committee does is they, they look at what particular needs, given the makeup of the board, we need right now. And they discerned a few years back that they needed somebody with some outside experience, and they also wanted somebody a little bit more maturity in life and had gone along. And I thought that was so cool, and that helped you discern that, yes, this is the time for me. That's great. Keith, um, tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Thanks, Jamie. Well, similar to Corey, I grew up uh, in the Catholic Church uh, until the age of 29 when I was personally introduced to a relationship with Jesus Christ by a neighbor uh, through a men's Bible study. And at that point, uh, he wrapped his life around me and uh, mentored me, and we got, my wife Melanie and I got very involved in a variety of uh, Bible-believing churches over the years and various communities that we've lived and been involved with uh, men's ministry and leadership. And we arrived here in Scottsdale in 1999 due to a job change and uh, got involved with a small group and uh, I with some men's ministry and most recently with marriage ministry. So. It was really with great humility that I was approached in 2007 and asked if I'd be willing to serve, and uh, I said yes. He said yes. You know, one of the things that people say to me sometimes is, you know, well, Jamie, you know, like it feels like you have to be around this church for like 45 years in order to be asked to be an elder, you know, and uh, like Corey and others. And one of the things I point out is that though we are looking for proven faithfulness, that's so important, especially as a church as, as large as our, really in any church, um, proven faithfulness is so key. Uh, there are folks who come here and within a few years demonstrate that. I mean, their maturity in Christ, and Keith is a great example of that, and he's been an awesome uh, addition to our board right now, and I'm so glad you guys get to hear from him and meet him. Uh, Mark, you're one of our younger elders, and uh, that, I think that's so cool because I'm a younger pastor. At least I like to consider myself that way. And uh, there's about five years difference between us, and so tell us a little bit about your journey and how you were asked to be on the board. Sure, Jamie. Uh, part of my journey is I accepted Christ at a relatively young age in a Christian family and through the teens and 20s had been um, presented with various uh, uh, challenges and struggles which resulted in really my fully committing myself to serve the Lord and not far after that I had met my wife Robin, I uh, got married and really felt called to serving the church, uh, the church body itself and not parachurch ministries and so we got involved in leading a uh, young couple's uh, marriage enrichment class. Uh, then I uh, had gotten involved in a ministry called the Timothy Ministry here at Scottsdale that basically trains uh, young men for ministry uh, serving op uh, opportunities. That led to me being on the Building Facility Council, which resulted in the design and the new building and new construction of the buildings that you see here today. Okay. Well, one of the themes that I keep hearing, I don't know if you guys hear this, is just how... Um, these men have been very, very involved in our church. And, and again, over the years, it's shown their character and their involvement. And I, I remember the discussion, Mark, when your name was put forth to the elders. We thought, yeah, he is kind of young, but Timothy was young. And, uh, and, and boy, has he shown the character and the leadership over the years. And you've been just a wonderful, wonderful addition to uh, the board. That's, that's great. Well, well, let's get down to some brass tacks. And let's hear from you guys on some of the things that we all deal with week in and week out. Um, and that is encouragements and challenges because all of us experience that in our lives. And it might be helpful for us in order to know how to 
pray for you as well as how our church functions to know, first of all, what are you most encouraged about or most excited about in your role as an elder? I mean, what do we need to know about what you do that most excites you when you get to serve in this way? Corey, why don't we start with you again? I think uh, one of my favorite things is uh, when uh, um, somebody comes and asks for prayer or from, the, for the, uh, from the elders. Uh, we get the privilege of, uh, of praying over them, but we get mostly to be encouraged by their faith. We get to see what their life journey has been and their walk in faith and how God has been faithful to them and how they share it with us. And it's very humbling to see uh, just a tremendous faith that they have, and it's so encouraging to us. Yeah, I mentioned that passage earlier that it, it talks about the fact that elders need to pray regularly for anybody in need. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how that process works, Corey. I, we meet about once a month uh, in our elder meetings, and they're as Dave's going to tell us here in a second, they can be rather long meetings. And um, I know that we do spend times praying for individuals in those meetings. I mean, right there that they come to the meetings. Um, how often does that happen, and how does that process work? How would somebody take advantage of that? Well, uh, we meet once a month, and I would say eight to ten times a year, we get the privilege of uh, praying for uh, some people that come. And generally, they come through Pat or one of the other elders, or one of the other pastors, right. that uh, they express some need to them, and then they bring it to the elders at our regular monthly meeting. Yeah, and that's a highlight for you. It is. That's awesome. I actually served in a church back in the late 80s that was a very large church, almost twice the size of this, and they had yet had such a need for people that wanted to be prayed for by elders that they had to develop a system where once a week, they had two elders that would just be in a room at a church, and anybody that wanted to come to be prayed for could. Wouldn't that be a great problem to have in this church? And, uh, and so maybe now that you guys know this, we can start to do that more often, because the biblical pattern is for us to pray uh, regularly for people in need as elders. And, uh, and that's a prayer that God very much hears uh, when we pray to him that way. Dave, um, tell us a little bit about uh, just what excites you the most as an elder, as well as, you know, the other stuff, too. Well, Jamie's suggesting uh, the part I don't like so much is the meetings last about five hours, and you got to sit in the same chair. But <laughs> the, uh, the redeeming part of that is that there are 12 godly men, all with uh, different spiritual gifts, with different life experiences, all focused on one thing, and that is seeing lives transformed in this church. So whether we're talking about painting this worship center or paving the parking lot or changing the light bulbs, it's all what impact that will have on transforming the lives of people who come here on Sunday. And so that, uh, that's the part that I do like. I know you've told me your story before. You became a Christian back in the 80s, and you went from, I mean, almost like Paul on the road to Damascus. You went from being a guy who was just seeking everything this world had to offer to God just totally turning you around. I mean, you've experienced transformation. I w it was 180 degrees, and, uh, and you know, I, I still, when I see somebody come forward, weep because I know what it is to come 180 degrees, and I know you can do it in an instant. Yeah. That's the... Yeah. Isn't that awesome? I love that, Dave. I love that about your heart. Thanks. Keith, uh, what is it that you love most about being an elder? What, what fires you up? Well, there's a lot of things, Jamie. I think the thing that comes to mind is the panoramic view I get of the whole church. I think maybe like a lot of folks that are here, the uh, 10 years that Melanie and I have been here, you get involved and you get a real picture of a slice of the church. You know you're in a good church, but you're only getting a slice of a couple of ministries. 
this 18 months that I've been on the elder board has given me this panoramic view of really what a healthy church we are, all the giftedness, the breadth of our ministries, and that we're struggling with many of the right things. So I just, it's just a real honor to be at that level. Yeah, I love that phrase, panoramic view, because I think that is true, and that reminds us that elders are not to drill down on all the minutiae. I mean, that's why we hire staff and others, people, and have very gifted lay people involved in all that. You guys are to, to take a broad view of it. Let me ask you this. When you talk about giftedness and people using their gifts, do we have a need for more people to use their gifts here at Scottsdale Bible? That's kind of a lead-in question, isn't it? Yeah, it sure is, but it's a great one because we do. And uh, as healthy as a church we are, as you've cast, uh, helped us recast our vision for the future and the focuses, it's more obvious than ever that we need everybody involved and all the giftedness is represented here in the church. We just need to get it all leveraged to Amen. move God's kingdom forward. Amen. Good word. Mark, our young elder, what, uh, what fires you up most about being an elder right now? Well, actually using my spiritual gifts <laughs> is one of the most exciting things. Uh, serving on the elder board and through the facilities, God allows me to use a lot of what I use every day serving him in ministry, and that's mm -hmm. such a blessing. Seeing the change around the church is exciting for me. Being involved in the new vision that was uh, cast and just the, the banter that you see on the elder board on just all the items that, that we have to get through on a meeting-by-meeting on a -meeting basis. You say banter. That's a good word because many of these folks don't come to our, our elder meetings because like Dave, they don't want to sit for five hours or what have you, but, but there is a lot of banter at our elder meetings. You know, once in a blue moon, somebody will accuse me of, uh, you know, on the elder board, uh, not at this church, but it's been done over the years of saying, you know, oh, the elder board's just a bunch of yes men or what have you, which is such an unfair thing when I hear that because we just tend to be unified. But that's really not true. I mean, uh, you know, there's a lot of banter and drilling back and forth uh, as we deal with many of the issues. Why don't you tell us a bit about that? Well, we do have a strong senior pastor, which is a blessing, and that's quite frankly, what we're looking for as a church, but the elder board is strong. Yeah. Uh, and so really it's a bunch of godly men that love the Lord that are dealing with these issues. Uh, sometimes we drill down even further and we're just wordsmithing words. And so it's a healthy banter and it's exciting to see godly men just wanting to follow out what God wants us to do. And that's just further his kingdom. Yeah. I remember when we went in with Vision 2010 and the proposal for it, it came out in a different form than it went in and really has the imprint of our elders upon it, and that is just so cool, and that, I think that honors God. Well, let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges. I know that we all have challenges in our life, and I know being an elder, there's a lot of challenges, and this might help us pray for you guys and all of our elders more uh, specifically. Mark, let's start with you. What challenges do you find that we need to know about in this large place? Well, being a large church obviously will create a lot of bureaucracies that need to be dealt with, uh, such as communications and, and ministries and that sort of thing. Yeah, there are a lot of bureaucracies here. Can you give us an example? Sure, like pulpit time for an announcement. Pulpit time for announcements. You mean like getting it, right? Right. Yeah, and, uh, and I know what he's referring to, and that is that on uh, more than one occasion, somebody will say to me, hey, we really got to get this event announced, and it's really important, and we know the announcements person, Pat, can do it, but we really want Jamie to do it. And, uh, and I'll say, well, 
what am I doing? Oh, that's right, I'm preaching the Bible. I don't think I can do that, right? And, uh, and that's tough because people know what the chain is, kind of the pecking order, and, and we have to deal with all that stuff, and that's what you're referring to. Exactly, exactly. And also, you know, programming needs for ministries, parking, so forth, and just the overall making sure that all the ministries are getting what they need at this church. Yeah. You know what, and that's a good thing for us to pray for, guys, for our elders, and that's that we don't realize it, but, you know, these things all happen. They happen in our church in concert between elders and staff and them overseeing the whole process, and this is a large place, and there's a lot of details that need to get done, and so we're going to pray that God just gives wisdom and smoothness, too, uh, in that. Uh, Keith, I know that your challenge is of a little bit of a different nature. It's a very personal challenge. Why don't you share that with us? Well, thanks, Jamie. The, uh, you know, we're called as God, uh, God's children, Christians, to walk in grace and truth. And, um, you know, the reality is, is that I could be better uh, and more consistent uh, in my prayer life for you and for this church. So that would be a prayer that I would ask that I might be more faithful in praying for the ministries here. And then I think a second area, you're reminded when you're in a leadership role, you know it intellectually, but you're sort of reminded day to day that we're really in a spiritual warfare situation. So I, I, and I know my fellow elders would agree, we really need to have be praying ourselves and have others pray for us, as Ephesians 6 would say, to pray on the armor, that this uh, that we do need to be protected. We're vulnerable in these positions, and we need to walk upright before God. Yep. I've said for years, and most people don't realize this, that elders in any given local setting have a target on their back. I mean, what did Jesus say? A house divided against itself will fall. And so if you want to see a church go through either difficult waters or just be knocked down, you're going to do it at the elder level. And so people say to me all the time, and this is so cool, many of you say we're praying for you regularly, or even some of you say every day. And what I hope you hear out of today is add these guys to your list and uh, pray regularly for your elders, for their purity, for their holiness, for their wisdom, for their families, for their businesses, that, that God would just continue to sustain them and equip them in leading us. And so thank you for sharing that, Keith. Dave, other than sitting for five hours, um, what, uh, what challenges do you face as an elder? Well, in, in any organization this size uh, where you have to make decisions, uh, no matter how hard you try, there are different opinions and different hopes and dreams, and not all of them are met. And so while we seek decisions that we perceive unanimously to be in God's will and uh, that we uh, think will benefit the largest majority of the congregation, there are always people who weren't in that majority, whose opinion wasn't in that majority, or who are maybe not benefited by the uh, by the decision. And uh, you know, I don't know what we'll do about it, but it, that, I think that's difficult. That is tough, isn't it? It really is. You know, you got 12 guys, many times 13, 14, 15, that are making decisions on behalf of all of us, and they do so very prayerfully, sometimes very tough decisions. As I shared with you all a few weeks ago, we might be looking at some personnel cuts, depending on how year-end giving goes and all that. And, and please know, that all happens at the elder level. I mean, those decisions aren't made unilaterally. That would not be a good thing. So it happens collaboratively. And, and Dave's right. We pray about it. We talk about it. We we, uh, we seek counsel, but you know, eventually land, hoping that's God's will and seeing that, but it's tough. And that is one of the hardest things about being an elder. And again, just a call to prayer uh, for our board. Corey, you are the chairman, which has got to be the toughest, most thankless job in this church because you put hours and hours into serving us and uh, working with guys like me. And so uh, why don't you tell us, outside of me, what your biggest challenge is uh, in, uh, in, in leading our church? 
Thanks, Jimmy. I think um, the biggest challenge is when I think that, uh, first of all, we're dealing with the God of the universe's church, his bride that he loves, and ostensibly we're supposed to be making decisions that affects his bride that he loves so dearly, and yet all of us are painfully aware of our own sin and our own shortcomings, so yet you just ask, why me? Why, what, why am I qualified to make this choice or decision? But here we are, and we're it, and so we have to make these choices and decisions, but it's, you think twice. So what do you do with that, Corey? I mean, I think all of us can relate to feeling uh, relatively uh, ill-equipped and even insecure in the roles that we have in this world, and you're right, you're leading God's church, and so when you feel that way, what do you do with that? Well, you have to just trust him that he's going to use you regardless and in yeah. spite of yourself. And also, um, you always always try and depend on the wisdom of the other men because there's wisdom in many counsel. Yep. And uh, uh, any tough decision, we always try and make collectively and yep. not have any personal agendas. But trust that God's going to lead through all of his men that are in charge. That's great. That's great. I was thinking the other day when Corey shared that answer with me, I thought, you know, would you, would you want, I wouldn't want anybody else to be an elder except a guy like that. You know, if we had a bunch of arrogant people on this board who said, I know the way and I know what to do, you know, it just, boy, would that just be a tough dynamic. But to have humble, godly men who have proven themselves with maturity is exactly what you want. And Corey's not kidding, guys, just so you know, is that we, we have very little agenda uh, on the board that we bring to the table. I mean, there's very few people pounding about a certain thing, even though you all come from very, very different settings in the community where you're involved in. You bring your gifts humbly to the table, and God has really empowered that over the years. But we're going to wrap up here in just a minute by praying for them in a special and unique way, and I'm going to invite all of you to be a part of that. Um, but before we do that, just very quickly, let's go down the line one last time. And as we've declared a future vision of our church, as we're well into this next chapter of our church, just share with all of us what you're most excited about. When, when you see the, the future of our church, what fires you up? What are you dreaming about down the road? Corey. Well, Jamie, as good a preacher as you are, and I love your teaching, I think you're a, actually a better leader. And uh, as you have articulated the vision that you feel like God has given to you for Scottsdale Bible, it really gets me excited, and I can't wait to pursue it with you. Amen. Dave. Uh, I'm excited that we have some empty seats. There are certainly more in the first service than there are here, and I understand there are many in the fourth service, too. And I'm excited about that because the vision of our church is to go out into the community and to bring people in who have no understanding of how their lives can be transformed and what a powerful transformation Jesus Christ can make in their lives. And so I'm excited to see these seats filled by these people who will come here and never be the same. Amen. Amen. Keith. Well, I'm absolutely convinced that we have a biblically imprinted mission, vision, and future in our 2010 uh, area and I'm just excited that we're got God's direction and I'm just really excited to see how many people are going to be challenged to join us in uh, advancing his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Mark. I'm really excited about the new family friendly campus that we're trying to create here in the morning on Sunday mornings and what I'm really looking forward to is seeing young families, uh, families with kids in these pews in the next coming months or years that maybe a year ago didn't even know who Scottsdale Bible was. Yeah. Amen. Good. I love you guys' heart. I love your vision. I love where you're leading us to. And uh, here's what we want to do. Um, as Corey mentioned earlier, on a regular basis, the elders pray, I mean, all the time for people in need. 
In fact, they are prayer warriors. Um, and as I've challenged you all to pray for them, I thought it'd be very fitting for us to end our service today by praying over our elders. I mean, picture in our elder meetings them hovering over um, one or two people on a regular basis, laying hands on, anointing with oil, praying for them, and God hearing those prayers. I want us to now, in a show of unity, hover over them and to pray for them and the eight others that are listed in your bulletin. We've given you pictures and bios of all of our other elders. And uh, let's end today by lifting them up to the Lord. And to do that, what I'd like you to do is you bow your head, is to maybe to lift your arm uh, forward as a show of support, as if you're actually touching them, if you feel led to do that. And uh, let's pray for our elders right now. So go ahead and do that. Father God, we um, indeed thank you for the gift that you have given us in our church of a very solid leadership structure that you've labeled elders. And fathers, we've learned today just in a cursory way, this is far from somebody who's older, but it's, it's people who have been called to uh, be in a qualified leadership position to protect and to care and to feed and to lead. And fathers, we've gotten to get an inside look at who some of these men are in our church through Corey and Dave and Keith and Mark. We want to pray your richest blessing upon them and then the other elders that are leading. I think of guys like Jack and Warren and Dan and the others who are, who are alongside these men and uh, who are giving of their time and talents and treasures to uh, help Scottsdale Bible Church be a prevailing church. And God, we would pray that as they protect us, that you would protect them, that you would keep them holy, very close to you in devotion and relationship, that God, you would keep them regularly in the word and in prayer. God, we pray you would protect their families that you would help them to be men who love their wives and pour deeply into their children and grandchildren, and that, God, you would bless them that way. And, Father, lastly, we pray that you would use them, that as they lead us, that we would be respectful in following their lead, especially as long as it is biblical and it has been and we know it will continue to be. And we pray, God, that you would give them wisdom, even beyond their years, and discernment, collaboration, and unity as they seek you for the leading of our church. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word that clearly tells us uh, what our lives would be about as we follow you, as we've seen today, even what our church is to be about as we follow you. And we look forward to what you're going to do. Move in our midst, we pray, in our lives and in our community. And we pray this in Jesus' holy and matchless name. And the whole church says together, amen. Hey, show your appreciation once again to these guys. All right? God bless you. We'll see you next week.